0: Hi. Well, if I've never met you before, my name's Joy. It's such a privilege to, to meet you. Um, for the past six months or so, God has been teaching me about forgiveness. Um, there was someone in my personal life who really hurt me, and I really struggled to let it go. And so when I got the title of the message today, I laughed because I'm going to be talking to you about the graceless son. And I wanted to be up front with you at the start by saying that I'm coming to you very much from a place of being in it, because I can very easily become an elder brother. I think that when you've been in church for a long time, it can be easy to think that you've got the whole grace thing sorted. But I felt challenged recently in my faith to go back to the foundations, because when our foundations are off, everything else gets thrown, and when life gets difficult, we find ourselves doubting how God truly feels about us. How can we extend grace to other people when we're not entirely sure how to receive it ourselves? And so um, if you have your Bibles on you, we're going to be um, spending some time getting introduced to the elder brother. So we're going to be looking at Luke 15, um, verses 25 to 28. I'll just give you a minute to grab some Bibles if people want to hand some out. Thank you. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered the father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fastened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. I'm going to read that again. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost, and he is found. I'm going to pray. God, thank you for grace. And Lord, as we look further into this passage, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us about your grace. Lord, would you reveal to us where we can be better at extending grace to other people. But also, Lord, I pray that you would show us where we can do better at receiving it ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been doing a series on the prodigal sin. Um, and today I wanted to look at it from a slightly different angle. We're going to be focusing on the people that Jesus was speaking to, because he wasn't speaking to the sinners or the prodigals, he was speaking to the religious elite, the people on the inside. I used to picture them sat around Jesus, really excited about this story of this father being reunited with his son, um, getting all emotional at this really lovely sweet reunion. One Pharisee turns to the other and says, wow, this is going to make great alpha content. But that's not quite the response that Jesus got. This parable was a scandal. It was one of the reasons that he would go on to be killed. He was redefining salvation as they knew it. There was this historical tension around Jesus between the elder brothers, which were the Pharisees and the religious elite, and the younger brothers, who were the prodigals and the sinners. We see this in example through the person of Zacchaeus. So I used to work in the Crescent Church, and we used to sing a little poem about Zacchaeus, which I'm not going to sing, but it said, And Zacchaeus was a very little man, and a very little man was he. He climbed up through the sycamore tree for a saviour he wanted to see. And I used to think he was adorable. I thought he was this really sweet, fuzzy little character, but I want to create a bit of a picture for you today that Zacchaeus was not adorable, okay don't be fooled by the fact that he was short. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and tax collectors um, you might think the Bible places them often with sinners, and you might say, "Well, why is the Bible so harsh on people who work in finance but um If you are an accountant here or you work in in the city with numbers, honestly, this isn't about you. Tax collectors worked for Rome, and Rome was this um, violent state, and they would try and control people through having people who would betray the communities around them by stealing their stuff and giving um, most of it to Rome, but keeping 10% themselves. And Zacchaeus, it says that he wasn't just a tax collector, but that he was the chief tax collector, which meant that he had tax collectors upon tax collectors upon tax collectors working for him. He was a big deal. He was terrifying. We don't know in the scriptures, but I wonder what his interactions would have been like. Were people scared of him? Was he violent? Could you imagine walking down the street and you see him and you think, oh my gosh, what if, what if he wants to take things that belong to me? What if he wants to ruin my life because he has the opportunity to? Zacchaeus would have been hated. And then we meet him in the Bible in this moment where he hears of this guy called Jesus and he wants to see who he is. And so he climbs a tree. And I just picture the scene. I think there must have been so many people who deserve to be there so many um, religious leaders and cute Jewish families with their kids on their shoulders, getting a glimpse of the savior who's coming to talk to them. And Jesus shows up and it's like everyone just fades away. And he looks through the crowd into this tree and he sees the one person there who needs him the most. And he goes up to him and he says, come down. What did that mean for Zach? come down from a life and trusting in yourself, come down from a life in trying to do everything for yourself and trying to live for your own values and your own dreams, but not having any outward focus, come down and let me come in, let me be with you, let me come and get to know you. And so Jesus goes to his house and he sits with him and in their culture to sit with someone was to say, I accept you. Can you imagine the anger around that? For me, I think it makes a lot of sense. But then we see the change in Zacchaeus almost immediately. He gets up in front of everyone and he says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What changed? What changed? How did Jesus become his Lord and how did his attitude and his heart change so quickly and soften in just an afternoon? Well, I'll tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't tablets of stone. It wasn't a TED talk on the seven seas to change. It wasn't the Ten Commandments. One afternoon with Jesus and his life was transformed forever but the religious people grew angry. I know that Louie touched on this last week. They couldn't understand these encounters that Jesus kept having time and time and time again. And they were like, Jesus, we deserve your goodness. But they don't. Do you know who you're spending time with? Do you know that woman over there? She had, she had five husbands. Why are, you, why are you spending time with her? Why are you spending time with him? Did you know that he murdered someone? Did you know? Do you know who these people are behind the scenes? You're spending time with them? What's wrong with you? And Jesus challenges them. He challenges their attitudes. He wants them to question, why why are you so angry at my goodness? Why are you so angry at my compassion? You all need it equally. And he tells these three parables. In the first two, someone goes to look for something. You've got the lost coin and the lost sheep. But in the third one, it's this contrast because you'll see that the elder brother, he doesn't go look for the younger brother. In their culture, he had a responsibility as the head of the household to go look for his brother, to reunite him with his father, but he doesn't. Why not? Well, I think it was because of the cost. If he'd gone to find his brother, he would have had to share his resources with him, and he didn't want to pay the cost. The brother who was so good, who followed all the rules, who did everything right, he completely missed the heart of the father. When I think about my friend who I struggled to forgive and why it cost me so much to do so, was that I didn't want him to get away with it. I think. It hurt me so much, and I went through such a difficult time with it, I thought, if I just let it go, then he just sails into the distance and everything's great. But for me, it it, it hurt me, it cost me something. I don't wanna bear the brunt of his sin, of his mistakes. And yet, when we look at Jesus, when we look at the way that he treats you and me, he is the true elder brother. He was willing to pay the ultimate cost so that you and I could come into relationship with him. The for prodigal father, he, was, um, he wasn't in relationship with his elder brother because of the younger brother. He wanted to welcome him home that badly. It cost him his relationship with the elder brother. And for God, it cost him his relationship with Jesus. They were separated for the first time ever because that's how much they wanted to welcome us home to say to us, come down, let me in, let's do life together. And so we have the opportunity to extend grace to other people because of the incredible grace that has been extended to us. Grace sets us free in three ways. The first one is grace sets us free from fear-based compliance. Elder brothers don't understand sonship. He says to his father, all these years I have been slaving for you. And I just think those words must have hurt the father so much. The father who was so good and so kind and who loved his sons with all his heart. And his son sees him as a master. It must have been such an insult, such a a slap in the face. And yet I see how it's easy to sink into that, to think, I need to be good in order to get love from the Father. I need to be good in order to come into your presence. I sometimes do this thing when I mess up where I can't talk to God for a certain amount of time because I feel like it's disrespectful. And God challenged me on it in terms of, you never deserve <laughs> you never deserve to spend time with me, but I'm here anyway. It's not about you. But sometimes it can feel so hard when we mess up and when we get things wrong. We think if people only truly knew who we were behind the scenes and yet God comes to us and he loves us anyway. He says, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And yet how often do we think it's the other way around? How often we think that we have to give God all that we have and do everything that we have and serve as much as possible and be on every team and God's like, I just love you. Can we just be together? Can I just spend time with you? You're not my slave. I'm your father. Number two, grace freezes from self-righteousness. Elder brothers operate from a place of superiority. Um, He says to his father, this son of yours, there's this sense of, I don't even want to be connected to the family. He's your son. He's not my brother. Elder brothers refuse to acknowledge they're in the same family because they feel like, they're too good for it. But as a result, elder brothers miss out on the banquet. You see, the father had put on this huge banquet, this, the best food, the best wine, the best music, everyone is there. And yet the elder brother misses it because of his own self-righteousness. And I was reflecting on, sometimes we can have fallouts in church and we can think things like, well, I don't wanna be at that event because, well, they're gonna be there. Who do they think they are worshipping here, do you, you know, after the way that they treated me? I, I don't want to be a part of that. And yet church is God's great, great banquet. Church is God's blessing to us. Let's not miss out on what God has, has done for us and given us the opportunity to be a part of because of hurts within the context. And that doesn't mean that we don't hold people to accountability or we don't have discipline, but it does mean let's be the kinds of people who are willing to have short accounts. And then finally, grace freezes from separation. Elder brothers want the father's things, but they miss the father. It says he grew angry and he refused to go in. Elder brothers don't have very good prayer lives. They lose their awe and their intimacy and the delight. And I was thinking, there's three types of conversations that we have in life. You've got business associate, which is goal-orientated. You've got the friend who you share things with about your life. But then you've got the romantic partner. You tell them how incredible they are, how beautiful they are, and you just constantly are in awe of them. How are we spending time with God? What does it look like when we're spending time with him? How do you talk to him? Do you realize that we are all undeserving and yet he invites us in anyway? The thing with this parable is that we get left on a bit of a cliffhanger. So we don't actually know what happens to the elder brother, whether he goes in or not. I think because Jesus was asking it as a question to the religious elite and to the Pharisees to say, what are you going to do with this? Are you going to come in? Or are you going to still rely on yourself? And um, that's the end of my talk.